following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Father, we just pause to say thank you. Lord, we don't take for granted life. There were many men this morning across the country that had plans to go to work today. Their wife went in the room and they were unresponsive. Some men were on their way to work and they didn't make it because of a traffic accident. And yet we're here. Lord, help us not to take life for granted. This day could be our very last day on planet Earth. So help us, Lord, to be not somber, but at least to be thoughtful of the opportunity that we have to serve you because this could be the last time. So, Lord, I thank you for my brothers that are in this room and I ask that you would just help us to look at your word and to glean things that can help us to be, brother, to be better um, husbands, better fathers, better friends, better workers, better leaders. And ultimately, we want you to get the glory. Thank you for this awesome opportunity, for this great church, Pastor Greg, for this opportunity. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have to tell you guys that there is a verse of Scripture from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, and I'll just kind of paraphrase it, where the Lord says, the writer of Genesis says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Now, so that we can fully understand and appreciate this, let me try to illustrate it this way. In ancient times, when a king would defeat a group of people, of course, the king would come into that area, defeat an enemy, take over a territory. And as a constant reminder that he had been victorious, what he would do is that he would erect statues of himself in that particular area. So every time that you went outside, every time you uh, walked down the street, it would be a reminder, that statue would be a reminder that the king was ruling. Now when you think about that, think about God for a moment. Deciding to create planet Earth and remember, God is pure spirit. He has no body parts. But God wants all those on planet Earth to recognize that he is the ruler of the planet. And so what he does, he says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to set up these statues, these human statues. And what their whole 
objective is, is to represent me, to reflect my image, to reflect who I am. Now think that through. That means as a man in Christ, your ultimate goal in life is to be him on planet Earth. You're not him, but to reflect him in all that you do, in all that you are. To bear his image and his likeness. Now, that should be a sobering thought because we know that he's holy. We know that he's righteous. We know that he's the essence of love. We know that he's just. I mean, we could just come up with word after word after word that he is. And he says, I want you to be me. When you encounter people, I don't want them to see you. I want them to see me in you. And the more and more I think about that, the more and more I start thinking through how, am, how have I been representing him? How have I been imaging him these past, for me, 66 years? And I don't think I've done a good job. I don't know about you, but I didn't trust Christ until I was 23. And even after I trusted Christ, I still continue to struggle with stuff. Any of you guys ever struggle? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't it bother you when you meet that guy that doesn't have any struggles anymore? <laughs> but one of the issues that we've got to talk about, and that is this whole thing of, since we are image bearers of Christ, since we are to reflect his image, since we are to be him, since we are to represent him in our daily lives, how do we do that? How do we just not intellectually do it? How do we do it in practice? Because here's what I found out. There's a big difference between knowing and doing. Would you guys agree? As a matter of fact, I've come to the realization that sometimes we can know so much that it can make us proud and arrogant. I teach at one of the most prestigious schools in the world, seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary. And I tell my students all the time, be very, very careful that you don't graduate from here very smug. Be careful that you don't graduate from here looking down your nose at others because of what you know and what they don't know. Because it's all about applying what you know from God's Word. So what I want to do today, just for a few moments, I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture that I think is going to help us to recognize how we are to live this life. And more specifically, how we are to deal with this whole issue of success and power. Success and power. But before I do, I want you to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, because it has, it has a very interesting, um, it's very interesting. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. This is the Lord talking to Joshua, Moses' understudy. Now Moses has gone off the scene, and now Joshua's taken over to lead the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. And so he says, young man, meditate upon this book day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Now watch this. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Google it and look up how many times the word success is used in the scriptures. If I'm right, it's no more than three, maybe two. And this is one of the situations. So in this text, success is equated to meditating upon the Word of God. Success and the Word of God sleep in the same bed together. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I don't know if you were like me as a dad, said to my sons and daughters, work hard and, and work on that GPA and, and do this, and then, son, you'll be successful. And forgetting this verse, son, it's about meditating upon God's word. It's about being obedient to the things that he's told us to do. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. When's the last time you went to that business meeting and they talked about success and meditated upon the Word of God? Probably didn't happen. But the passage, thank you. But the passage of Scripture that I want us to look at this morning is found in the book of John, St. John, chapter 15. It's a known passage to many of us in the room. John, chapter 15. It's part of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. Write this down. From chapter 13 through chapter 17, it's referred to as the Upper Room Discourse or the Upper Room Sermons. We could say it like that. Jesus gives several sermons from chapter 13 to chapter 17. Chapter 13 is that very famous chapter where he washes the disciples' feet, right? Most of you guys know that. And on the other end... On the right side, so to speak, it's chapter 17 where Jesus talks about, you know, going back to the Father and, and, and Father, you've given me these men and, 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 and I love them, I've taught them, I'm sending them out. Oftentimes it's referred to as the Lord's Prayer, not the one our Father which art in heaven. That's really how he taught the disciples to pray. But the Lord's Prayer would really be in chapter 17. In chapter 14, he talks about, look, I'm going to leave you guys. And of course, when he said that, everyone's nervous. They're going to kill me. They're going to abuse me. But I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you someone to walk alongside you once I leave. That's going to be the comforter. Chapter 16, he reiterates the very same thing. And sandwiched in between this upper room discourse is this very, very important chapter, chapter 15. And so what Jesus does, Jesus looks at, uh, how can I say, Israeli imagery 
And he uses this metaphor of the vine and branches. Listen to what he says. Chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. Underscore the word true in your Bible. The reason why he's saying this is because if you were a good Jew, you know that oftentimes Israel was compared to a vine as a nation. But Jesus comes along and says, but I want you to know that all of that was just a picture of me. Now I've come and now I'm the true vine that I want you to focus on. I am the true vine. Then he says, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So I want you to underscore something. When it says bear fruit, I want you to write this note in your Bible or somewhere. It is an, ex an expectation of the Lord that you and I would be productive in our lives. But what he's talking about is not so much producing external things, but productive and on how we image him. So ultimately, the fruit that he's talking about bearing is not just things, it's not stuff, it's really imaging him. So ultimately, you will be judged by not how many people you led to Christ, you will be judged not by how much money you gave to the church. You'll be judged by not how many mission trips that you went on. You'll ultimately be judged as to how you imaged him during your however many years on planet Earth. When the books are opened, when he looks at that event in 1977, when he looks at that event in 2016 or 2000, when he looks at that situation, when he looks at how you handled that, you'll be judged based upon that. Because if it was just being judged based upon knowledge, that's not really a good assessment. Because guess who had a bunch of knowledge? The Pharisees had a bunch of knowledge. I mean, they knew it frontwards and backwards and sideways. And yet Jesus said, you know what? Externally, you really look good, but on the inside, you smell like dead men's bones. On the inside, you're not imaging me. That's not the image I wanted to project to the world. So Jesus says, if you want to be successful, here's an expectation that I have. And that expectation is that you are productive, that you bear fruit. Because think about it, and, and it, 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 it should easily make sense. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I love doing I love doing yard work and and I'm not the best but I just really enjoy getting out there and you know getting your hands in the dirt and that kind of stuff with the shovel and so what I did I wanted to move some trees from one location to another location and in the past I've done I've done pretty good because you know when you do that you have to kind of keep remember keep those roots together keep the dirt together as you're transplanted and so I I dug and you know made sure that it was there and I planted them in the next location then when I went out there the next day, I saw the leaves turning brown. And I was like, wow. I realized the mistake that I had made, that too much of the soil fell off of these particular trees. And in less than a day, 
they started dying. Because what they had been in, what the, the, how, how they were being, how can I say, uh, cared for and, and, and how they were being fed and, and how they were being nurtured, I severed them from that particular location and I didn't properly put them in a new location. And so in less than a day, they died because they had been severed from their source of strength. Do you know it's possible that you may be sitting next to a brother in this room that's never been truly planted in Christ? He externally knows all the right things to say. He knows all the religious jargon. He knows, but the truth is, there's no fruit in his life. He's un. Productive. And see, what Jesus says here is different than what Paul says because when you come to the book of Romans, when Paul says in Christ, Paul's dealing with a whole different issue. When Paul says those of us that are in Christ, he's clearly talking about a relationship. But Jesus says, he uses this phrase, every branch in me. It's different than when Paul says in Christ. In essence, it's possible to be around me, around the vine, and yet not be attached to the vine. Well, what do you mean by that, preacher? Go back to chapter 13. There was a guy named Judas Iscariot. Guess what, guys? He was around the vine, but he was never in the vine. I'm not trying to judge you at all. I just want you to take a serious look at your life and ask the question, is my life imaging Jesus? Am I being productive? Because if I'm not, it could be. Notice I didn't say it, it is. It could be because I've just been around the vine, but I've never truly been in the vine. There's a big difference between going to church and having a relationship with the Lord. Let me shock you with a verse of scripture that when I first saw this scripture, it just, blow, it just, it just blew me away. Uh, turn, to, turn to your left to the book of Matthew chapter 7. When I saw this scripture, guys, I just, I mean, I almost, I almost fell out. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. I couldn't even believe that this scripture was in the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What do we say the will of the Father is? To image him. But the will of my Father, again, he says... Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Watch verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. That word knew is a word for intimacy. Adam knew his wife and she conceived. He says, you knew about me intellectually, but you didn't know me. There was no intimate relationship between you and I because if there was an intimate relationship between you and I and if you're in the vine, 
and you're being nourished by my power, then guess what's going to be an automatic thing? You're going to bear fruit. If all you are is just close to the vine, I'm not shocked that you won't bear any fruit. But look back at chapter 15. Look what the writer says that happens for those that don't bear fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does the text say? He takes it away, and every branch that does bear fruit, oh my goodness. I just gave you the word productive. Now let me give you the word pain. The word pain. I had surgery not too long ago, and the doctor's explaining to me, um, to fix you, Mr. Bowen, or to help you, I've got to cut you. And because of how difficult it's going to be, I'm going to have to put you under so that you don't feel the pain when I cut you. Has anyone ever felt God cutting you? And when God cut you, spiritually speaking, did you like it? What's the answer? No, I didn't like it. But guess what? It was the best thing for us because the text says, he says, those, he says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it for what purpose? That it might bear more fruit. So in essence, you've got the dead, you've got the dead limbs, and then you've got those limbs that are at least beginning to be productive. The dead ones, you just cast them aside. But those that are being productive, what do you do? You cut them back so that they can produce more. I don't know about you, but I bet you if we had time to just give testimonies all around the room, we can give testimonies of God's pruning process in our lives. And at the moment that we were being pruned, we didn't like it. As a matter of fact, we went to God and said, God, this is unfair. God, for you to take me through, through this, this is not right. And I remember that day. I remember that day when God was pruning me and my, lot, and my wife is laying in the, in, in the bed. She's dying of terminal lung cancer caused by my smoking. And she's laying there dying. I'll never forget the day we had just come back from chemo, come back from radiation. I'm driving on the 20 freeway in Dallas. I'm in the left lane, far left lane. And this thought came to me, this is my best friend since age 17. case is very, very strong that what I did caused this. It should be me in that bed. So I remember saying to myself, if I just flip the stern wheel over and try to cross these lanes, I'll flip. I'll kill myself. But at least I won't have to watch my best friend just slowly but surely deteriorate. 
And in the midst of that, guys, every time I turned on the television, I'd hear about some pastor whose wife had cancer and who, who was experiencing this supernatural healing. And we were doing all the right things. We were praying the right prayers. We were doing the special anointings, all, the, all these things. But what I didn't realize is that God was using one of the most difficult moments in my life to prune me so that I could bear more fruit. Now, I'm not wishing, I promise you, I'm not wishing that on any of you. But I'll tell you this. God knows what he's doing in your life to make you more productive. And he may have to just, just, just ring you out where it doesn't make sense. That was over 20-something years ago when that happened. And today, I look back on it, and I know this may sound strange, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I can say now to the Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It didn't make sense. I was angry at you. I was angry at the situation. I was guilt-ridden. But Lord, thank you. I'm closer to you as a result of what you used to prune me, to make me more productive. There's something else in the text that gets me every time I read it. Look at verse 4. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. I want to give you another word that starts with the letter P. It's the word power. Would you believe me if I told you that you are absolutely powerless apart from God? Absolutely powerless. As a matter of fact, let me give you the verse in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 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 You can't even make your own heart beat. You can't do anything apart from his power. Your life at this very second is in his hands. The air that you breathe is in his hands. Your power to lead, your power, whatever you're going to do at work today, whatever you're going to do with your family is in his hands. And he has the power. He has authority just to say at any moment, heart, stop beating. I'll never forget it. I'm at church. We're having worship. The lady's standing up. She's leading the song. And guys, in the middle of the second verse of the song, she drops dead right on the stage in church. In the middle of the second verse, she just, oh, just gone. No long no prolonged illness, just gone. God has the power. And he wants to teach us to depend and to trust his power. Because I don't know if you're like me, 
When I was younger, I thought I was pretty strong. Did this and, and, and anybody, you know, you, when you were, you, you worked out, football, basketball, all that kind of stuff, track, man, did that kind of stuff. And yeah, I need to get it together and, you know, pumping the iron and, you know, eating right and all that kind of stuff. If you're not careful, you'll start to trust in your own strength. But ultimately, you have to keep reminding yourself, true power is not in my hands. True power comes from this word. Look at this word. We've said it two or three times. He says, abide in me. True success, true power comes from this intimate relationship between the Lord and us. And the question is, are you abiding in Christ? The word abide means to remain. Are you staying in Christ? Are you trusting him for your skill? Are you trusting him with your talents? Are you trusting him with your money? Are you trusting him with your abilities? Are you trusting him remaining in him, the ultimate source of power and the ultimate source of success. And then watch what he says. Then I'll be out of your way. Verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered. They're thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will. Here's the next word that starts with the letter P. What are you guessing it is? Prayer. Because when we pray, what's really being done? When we pray, we're really saying, Lord, I trust in you. Abide in me. My words abide in you. Then what can you do? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. Can I surprise you with something, guys? And I was telling one of my classes the other night. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, when the Apostle Paul talks about this whole thing of salvation, this whole thing of God's grace, he doesn't say that it was done for our benefit. He says it was done for his benefit to the praise, to his glory. So guess what? This whole thing, this whole life, this whole world is for what? It's for his glory. Let me shock you. Not your personal happiness. Because there are times when the Lord has told me to be obedient, but I wasn't happy with what he told me to do. And then finally, here's what he says. Dr. Bailey, the president of Dallas Seminary, shocked me because he gave me a verse of Scripture. And um, when I read this verse of Scripture, it, uh, it, just, it, just really, uh, it, it just really messed me up. It comes from uh, 1 Timothy where he says, the goal of our instruction, this is Dallas Seminary, the goal of our instruction is not knowledge. The passage says the goal of our instruction is love. Watch what Jesus says. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit 
And so prove to be not my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. You want to be successful? You want to be a man of power? Learn to be a man of love. As a pastor, I came to the realization that ultimately my members just wanted to know, do you love us? Pastor, do you love me? I've had friends, all kind of different, different ethnic persuasions, and what kept our relationship together, guess what it was, guys? It was our love. One raised from a very um, a place of means and prestige, uh, the other comes from poverty, and yet what brought us together was that we loved each other. And the love overrided, it superseded all of our differences. If you love me, that'll be the thing that will keep our relationship together. Don't just tolerate me. Don't just be with me because you have to be with me. Be with me because you love me. And the more we learn, the more we abide in him, the more his love flows through us to others. I tell people all the time, and I'll close with this. When my vertical relationship is right with God, my horizontal relationship is always right with people. When there's something wrong with my vertical, guess what? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that there's something wrong with my horizontal. If you love me, what will help you to continue to love me is that you're abiding in him. Because remember, what we've been called to do? Image him. Did he just come to the elite? No. Oftentimes he came to the, the, to the disenfranchised, to, to the poor, uh, to, to the people that he wasn't supposed to have any association with because he wanted to show that my kingdom is different. My kingdom is upside down. My kingdom will be a kingdom of slaves. So oftentimes I introduce myself and because I'm African-American, sometimes it shocks people. I'll go to a church and say, um, I'm Willie Bolden. I'm here to be your slave for the rest of the day. <laughs> and I'm serious. I'm here to be your servant. Because if my Lord, who was God in human flesh, if he could take the towel from around his waist and wash those disciples' feet, what did he say? What you've seen me do, you do. Because when you image me, it's being a slave. 
Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for my brothers that are in this room. Lord, we are your statues. The conquering king. The ruler of planet Earth. And you've left us behind. So that whenever people look at us, they're supposed to see you. And Lord, how can we talk about success? How can we talk about the proper use of power apart from a relationship with you? You said, without you, we can do nothing. You said success is based upon meditation, obedience to the word of God. So Father, I ask that you would help me Help my brothers that are in this room to never forget, no matter how high you climb the corporate ladder, no matter how high your position is at church, no matter where you are in your family, we are to image you. Because we all want to hear those famous words. When our heart stops for the last time and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we want to hear you say, well done my good and faithful slave. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day. Your hearts and let the healer set you free.